I want you to hit me as hard as you can. In the early 1990s, video games grew in popularity thanks to consoles like the Nintendo Entertainment System and Sega Genesis. Hollywood, not wanting to leave money on the table, saw a chance to mine these popular game titles for the big screen. The first video game adaptation, Super Mario Bros., was seen as an almost can't-miss opportunity, but it was released in 1993 to horrible reviews and lackluster box office. The next two video game movies, Double Dragon and Street Fighter, didn't fare that much better. Uh, I was wrong, it got worse. Audiences quickly became apprehensive about whether Hollywood could translate their favorite games into immersive theatrical adventures. We can all go home. And then, on August 18, 1995, a new anticipated video game adaptation hit the big screen, Mortal Kombat. It had an untested yet dedicated director, and a cast full of virtually unknown performers, and one Highlander. <laughs> So how did Mortal Kombat turn the tide of video game movies from seemingly dead in the water to a massively lucrative genre? Get over here! And find out what the f**k happened to this movie. In the year 1991, the video game landscape was a more family-friendly environment, with favorites like Super Mario and The Legend of Zelda dominating TV screens. Around that time, game development company Midway was looking to make more mature content for their adult customers. Enter the producers of the action movie Universal Soldier, who approached Midway about making a video game based off their upcoming release, potentially using the digitized likeness of star Jean-Claude Van Damme. When that deal eventually fell through, game designers Ed Boon and John Tobias began contemplating a more gritty martial arts fighting game inspired by one of Van Damme's other notable movies, Bloodsport. When Capcom's Street Fighter II became a gigantic arcade hit, Midway authorized Boone and Tobias to create their own original arcade fighting game. Armed with creative freedom, the duo set their sights on the first character, Johnny Cage, who was meant to be a direct send-up of the larger-than-life personality that was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Another influence was director John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China and how it Americanized supernatural kung fu movies from China. The first Mortal Kombat game arrived in arcades in October of 1992, and it immediately gained notoriety for its radically violent gameplay. So of course, the next logical step was to get it into the homes of gamers. On September 13, 1993, dubbed Mortal Monday, the game was released on four home consoles. However, not all versions were created equal. Nintendo, with its family focus, released theirs without any bloodshed, while Sega allowed the carnage, but only if you knew the secret code. A-B-A-C-A-B-B, -A, -B, a reference to an album and song title from rock band Genesis. Movie producer Lawrence Kazanov thought Mortal Kombat was like Star Wars meets Enter the Dragon, and he pursued the rights, insisting he could turn the property into a global sensation. And after several months, he finally convinced the game makers and set about turning this fighting game with very little story into a huge Hollywood film. Several directors with prominent filmographies submitted pitches for their take on the material, but it was a chance screening of an independent film called Shopping, featuring a young Jude Law, that got the producers excited. Impressed with the low-budget storytelling, the producers invited director Paul W.S. Anderson to hear his pitch. Anderson had been a massive fan of the Mortal Kombat game and was eager to impress the producers, but he lacked the knowledge of big-budget studio filmmaking. So, prior to the meeting, he purchased every book he could find on CGI and special effects, the producers later said that Anderson sounded like the most intelligent, well-versed person in Hollywood when it came to CGI, when he was really just regurgitating what he had read. 
but it clearly worked, and Paul W.S. Anderson was hired to direct his first major studio picture. The original Mortal Kombat script was written in the R-rated vein of the infamously gory games, but studio executives demanded a PG-13 rating, so the movie could be seen by the younger audiences who had made the game such a smash hit. This resulted in the producers actually working with the MPAA to find out what specific material would earn an R rating versus a PG-13, and they learned that the on-screen deaths of human characters was the primary determining factor. When the softer PG-13 script by writer Kevin Droney made it to the game creators Ed Boon and John Tobias, they were not impressed, believing it had too much comedy, especially for the serious mentor character Raiden. And the head of New Line Cinema hated the script so much, he reportedly screamed at Kazanov for an hour, before ultimately telling him, now go ahead and make it. Flawless victory. With the studio and director on board, it was time to cast the combatants for the tournament between Earth and the realm of Outworld. The filmmakers had seen dailies from the Jim Carrey movie The Mask and were blown away by a young Cameron Diaz, and they immediately grabbed her to play Sonya Blade. But when Diaz injured her wrist during training and had to bow out late in the process, that turned out to be a lucky break for Bridget Wilson, who had previously auditioned for the role but was passed over. Wilson was on her final day of shooting on Adam Sandler's Billy Madison when she got the call for the part, which required her to be on set the very next day. Robin Shu, who had built a solid reputation in Hong Kong as a martial artist and stuntman, had originally laughed at the idea of a Mortal Kombat movie, but was convinced by a friend to audition. It would take seven auditions before he finally landed the role of bicycle-kicking hero Liu Kang. The producers wanted to cast Jean-Claude Van Damme in the role that was literally created for him, Johnny Cage. However, at the time, Van Damme was already signed to star in a different video game adaptation, Street Fighter. Now, who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me? So they turned their focus to another person with martial arts in his blood, Brandon Lee. The producers felt that Lee was on the precipice of the A-list, and thought casting the son of the legendary Bruce Lee would be perfect for their martial arts project that was so obviously influenced by Enter the Dragon. Sadly, as those discussions were happening, Brandon Lee was tragically killed while making The Crow. The role of the smug action star instead went to relatively unknown actor Lyndon Ashby, who had just appeared as Morgan Earp in Kevin Costner's western Wyatt Earp. Originally, Sean Connery was approached to play Lord Raiden, but he turned them down, saying at the time he simply wanted to golf. So they approached his fellow immortal Christopher Lambert for the role, which was met with some controversy for whitewashing a character of Asian descent. Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa would play sadistic sorcerer Shang Tsung, a performance that is now often considered the quintessential version of the villain. Noted video game fan Steven Spielberg nearly made a cameo as the director of Johnny Cage's movie, but when the busy filmmaker was suddenly unavailable, a Spielberg doppelganger was quickly cast instead. Production on Mortal Kombat began in August of 1994. On the very first day of filming, it became apparent that Paul W.S. Anderson was inexperienced directing this type of action when he attempted to shoot an entire long fight sequence in a wide master shot, calling for take after take. Eventually, Robin Shu, who was familiar with fight scenes from his Hong Kong work, explained how coverage and close-ups are used and edited to create a full final fight sequence. Anderson was incredibly thankful for the first day encounter because it put him at ease to know he was working with people who were supportive and understanding of his rookie shortcomings. This extended to the biggest name on the production, Christopher Lambert, who many cast members looked up to on the set. Because he was having such a good time and just going with the flow, everyone else followed suit. Most interior shots were captured in Los Angeles, 
But Anderson wanted something unique for the exterior shots, and that meant traveling around the globe to Thailand. However, the locations they used were difficult to access, requiring the cast and crew to travel back and forth from the mainland each day via long canoe, including all the gear for the shoot. With Lambert the most seasoned member of the cast, and therefore the highest paid, the production could only afford him for the few weeks of Los Angeles shooting. Anderson figured he could get all the necessary close-ups of Lambert in LA, and then use a double in Thailand for the wide shots. But when Anderson explained this plan to Lambert, the actor laughed and demonstrated his commitment by paying for his own flight and accommodations in Thailand, even funding the rap party himself. While filming, Anderson allowed his actors to improvise dialogue, resulting in more comedic one-liners like Johnny Cage's quip, Those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. It seems not everyone was a fan of this. Lyndon Ashby later ran into screenwriter Kevin Droney at a party, and the writer introduced the actor to his girlfriend by saying, This is the asshole that ruined my script. Ashby just laughed and let it slide, apparently without delivering his character's signature crotch punch. Of course, a production of this magnitude was not without its problems, but in this case, the diva on set was not Johnny Cage or, in fact, any of the humans. It was Goro, the $1 million four-armed animatronic, which continually malfunctioned and caused constant delays to production. With the cast performing many of their own stunts, injuries were also an issue, including Lyndon Ashby bruising a kidney in his fight with Scorpion and Bridget Wilson dislocating her shoulder before getting it popped back into place and continuing on with the scene. In his fight with Reptile, Robin Shu fractured his ribs and didn't tell anyone at the time, instead quietly requesting his on-screen adversary to only hit him on his left side. Speaking of that Reptile fight, it actually wasn't in the original cut of the film, along with several other clashes. After the first test audience screenings, the comments were unanimous. It was good enough, but short on action, and missing iconic finishing moves from the video game. So the cast and crew reconvened to shoot more fight scenes, with Robin Shu stepping in as the fight coordinator. When Mortal Kombat was released in theaters on August 18, 1995, that fight choreography would be one of the main things to receive a positive response. The movie opened in first place with over $23 million and remained on top for three consecutive weeks, making it the first truly successful video game adaptation. Out of fear that the film would bomb, Anderson had spent the opening weekend vacationing in Hawaii, and upon learning of its success, he regretted not being in Los Angeles to take full advantage of having the biggest movie in the country. Critics hailed it as the best video game adaptation to date, although at the time that was shallow praise given the competition. You'll have to do better than that. Okay. They also appreciated the set design and fights, but found the script lacking and the acting subpar. Audiences disagreed, giving the film a respectable A- cinema score, and pushing the box office total to $122 million on a budget of $20 million. One thing fans and critics did seem to agree on was that the film should have had an R rating. Many felt the end product was watered down, and not a true representation of the video game that was so profusely violent it forced the creation of the Entertainment Software Ratings Board. And there was that incredible soundtrack. For the original video game, producers had approached Lords of Acid musicians Praga Khan and Olivier Adams to develop music. As the new group, The Immortals, they came up with one of the most iconic theme songs ever created. When it came time to put together the music for the film, producers were laughed at when they pitched a pure electronic dance music soundtrack. Sony Music wanted to do a Buckethead vs. Eddie Van Halen style soundtrack and Virgin Records pitched a Janet Jackson vibe. New Line ultimately backed the producer's dreams of an EDM score and sold the rights to a small record company. 
the gamble paid off, and the soundtrack album became the first ever platinum-selling EDM record. The first Mortal Kombat movie ends on a cliffhanger, with the heroes in fighting stance to face the dreaded emperor of Outworld, Shao Kahn. When the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, arrived in November 1997, it picked up directly where its predecessor left off. But something about it just seemed slightly off. Maybe the camera angles? Different color grading? Or perhaps that most of the actors were completely recast? Lyndon Ashby was excited to reprise his role for a sequel, but understandably changed his mind upon learning that Johnny Cage would be killed off in the first 10 minutes. Bridget Wilson turned it down to appear in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Even though Christopher Lambert absolutely loved making the first film, he thought the sequel script was terrible and instead chose to split his time between French films and low-budget movies like Mean Guns. While Paul W.S. Anderson was interested in returning to direct the sequel, at the time he was already committed to Event Horizon. For his next video game adaptation, Resident Evil, he signed on with the goal of seeing the series through till the end, unlike what had happened with Mortal Kombat. After five Resident Evil sequels and a reboot, he was obviously true to his word. Three decades later, the world of Mortal Kombat has endured with two dozen games, plus comics, TV series, animated videos, and even a live stage show. Paul W.S. Anderson's 1995 feature adaptation may have its detractors, but its impact on the industry cannot be understated. Sure, some of the CGI is dated, and the dialogue can be cringeworthy. All those souls, and you still don't have one of your own. But it was also one of the first Hollywood movies to embrace Hong Kong-style wire work and fight choreography, which subsequent films like The Matrix no doubt took inspiration from. Even the games still pay homage to the original movie, with most of the main cast recently providing their voices and likenesses for added content in Mortal Kombat 11. Perhaps most significantly, even after all the time and competition since it first hit theaters, Mortal Kombat is still considered one of the best video game movies. Admittedly, it's not exactly a high bar, but it still counts as an achievement. Fatality. And the Mortal Kombat franchise just keeps on kicking. Despite the global pandemic, the 2021 R-rated reboot performed well enough at the box office and on HBO Max to demand a sequel being headed up by Moon Knight showrunner Jeremy Slater. We are eagerly anticipating it, if for no other reason than it will give us an excuse to go back and watch the original again. I guess you knew it would end this way. Didn't have a clue.